0: I want to thank you all for listening to Talking Sports with Evan. The uh, date is November 17th, 2020, and I want to thank you all for listening. And uh, First one, also say thank you to Tristan Thomas, who came on uh, the show here today, Talk Milwaukee Bucks. The first part of the show, you're going to hear my interview with him, talking about the Bucks trade for Drew Holiday and Brogdon Brogdonovich um, to try to improve their team, to try to entice Giannis to sign that Supermax, try to put together a starting five that is going to challenge for an nba title next year so we talked about the trade what it means for the bucks what it could potentially mean for re-signing Giannis long term um talked briefly about what the rest of the nba could look like and what the bucks could do to shape the remainder of their roster so thank you for uh tristan tristan for coming on and spending some time with me on Talking Sports with Evan. After that interview, you're going to hear me talk about Packers and Jacksonville, David Bakhtiari's um, contract extension. and uh, So yeah, I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions, comments, uh, you're free to email me, TalkingSportsWithEvan at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at Evan with Sports, or you can find me on Facebook, Talking Sports with Evan. Um, I will be previewing Packers Colts later in the week, probably on my Facebook page. um, Record a video there. So again, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy my interview with uh, with Tristan talking Bucks, and I hope you stick around for talking um, Packers, Jaguars, following that interview.
1: And now joined by uh, Tristan Thomas joining us. Talk of you know, the original plan was to talk about the bubble for the Bucks and what moves should the Bucks make. um, This you know, with the the, uh, trades being allowed now and free agency coming in the draft. Well, that completely got changed up and thrown out the window at about what ten thirty ish last night. Correct?
2: Yeah, it blew up.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So you know quickly thank you for uh for spending some a uh, few minutes with me here um in this episode to talk Milwaukee bucks and I thought been you know obviously we've been interacting with each other for a while been following you for a while and you know I do like your you know your sports takes especially your bucks takes and and I just want to get you on uh just to kind of get your thoughts on i guess now the moves the bucks have made and then what uh what transpired, in your opinion, in the bubble. But before we get that, if you want to spend uh, quick to introduce yourself to let my listeners
2: know uh, who you are and where they can uh, find your work. Well, first of all, thank you for asking me on, Evan. Don't sell yourself short. This man was a finalist in Season 4 of Talking to Talk, one of the <laughs> toughest contests out there. So don't let him sell himself short. He <laughs> knows what he's talking about. He's a good man. I've been following him as well, love his sports takes. I love the way he breaks down the game. So don't say yourself short. You are a champion in my book. Mm -hmm. For me, not a problem, man. I mean, you know, I'm just glad to be here and uh, everybody get a little taste of of what they can expect from Toss Nation Media and, and myself and my podcast, Toss, Tristan on Sports Show. You know, we just kind of break it down in the world of Wisconsin sports and then we sample just a little bit of the national scene and really give it to you truthfully, opinionated and passionately. Yeah.
1: Well, first, I guess I am going to start with the first portion of it. I know it's old news and it happened a few months ago. Uh, but obviously, the season gets stopped in March um, due to COVID-19. It's restarted down in Orlando in the bubble. And Bucks come down, clinch to one seed in the playoffs, which at the end of the day, one seed didn't really mean as much as it would have during a, a typical season. But then it, they, they struggle in the bubble, even though, and then playoff time, they lose in five games of
2: the Heat. So, in, in your thoughts, what happened down there? Ooh, um, What happened was a continuation of what was happening before the NBA stoppage. I, I would count maybe five, maybe six games before the NBA stopped play because of COVID-19. The Bucks were really not playing very good defense. They had just completely – I don't want to use the word fall off, um, but they weren't that number one defense we had become accustomed to. They were not playing uh, – for whatever reason, the rotations were just not there. They were just not stopping teams for, or at least making it tough for teams to hit open threes. I mean, we know their philosophy is to back the paint and, and hopefully get a rotation out to a, an open shooter and, and make it tough for them to miss the three, and they've been really successful in doing that. But they just did not have it, and they ended up going into the bubble on a three-game losing streak, and I believe they lost uh, their first game in the bubble. I may be wrong about that, but they walked into the bubble on a three-game losing streak, and it was just a continuation of that. For whatever reason, defensively, it was just not there, and they paid the price for it. Yeah.
1: So if the bubble never happens, the season goes how it's supposed to, do you see – the Heat just being a bad matchup, and this is likely how it's ending, anyways. Or do we are we talking, uh, you know, differently? You know, Bucks maybe advancing past second round and maybe even past that. You know, is this kind of going to be the outcome, regardless if the bubble happened or not? With the Heat, do
2: you think? The Heat was a nightmare matchup uh, out of all the teams they faced all year, and you have to go back to the first game that they played. It took a Herculean effort by the heat, to come back and win that game. They hit, like, a franchise record in threes, and the Bucks went franchisingly cold. I think they shot 16 for 45 from three in that game. So it took a lot of different factors for them to come back and win that game, that first regular season game against the Bucks. But in subsequent games after that, you could see that this was a difficult matchup. The matchup they had in the bubble in the seeding game, um, the, the Bucks had to overcome a 23-point, deficit just to win that game, and oh, by the way, yeah. Jimmy Butler did not play that game,
1: so and you're Robinson down
2: to teams to play lights out against the Bucks too. <laughs> they had no answer for him. They had absolutely no answer for him, so that was the nightmare matchup that you were hoping not to see. You were hoping that they would slide out of that four seed, but unfortunately, they did not, and you knew you were going to see them in the second round as the, as the one seed, and it, it's tough to say that this was going to be the outcome anyway, because the Bucks had that time off, and you would think, okay, whatever defensive ails they have would be fixed with this time off. Maybe they would, you know, get better and get a little bit healthier, get a little bit of rest, and, and get back to it. But it never happened, so it, it, it's really hard to say that it would be a different outcome had we not had the stoppage, because it was really a continuation of what was happening in the regular season. So I think ultimately you ran into a buzzsaw in the heat. And this is going to be the outcome anyway. Yeah, I would say the one thing the bubble did help with, he brought up getting healthy. You know, and I kind of
1: chalked the struggling going into the stoppage because I know uh, I think it was against the Lakers, Giannis tweaked his knee, and I know he'd missed a couple games going into that. So I just kind of chalked it up. And obviously I was wrong. I chalked it up to struggling because Giannis wasn't out there, and Giannis is going to, you know, has a few months off. Now he's healthy you know, look out, and obviously it just didn't go that way for various reasons, one of which, who's no longer a buck, is, you know, Bledsoe seems to not be able to show up at times in the playoffs, and hopefully that's something that's been fixed. And And I know big, big uh, criticism throughout the playoff, through the regular season and the playoffs, was just uh, Bootenhoser's rotations and his dependence of going 10 and 12 deep uh uh, in his in his rotations, and, uh, you know, a lot of people thought during the regular season it was just to keep his main core uh, healthy, but then playoff time he's doing the same thing. Is that kind of overblown, like the deeper you go on the bench, you're going to probably not do as well in the playoffs, or is that probably, you know, some truth to that? It,
2: it, there's a little bit of truth to it. Um, depth is great to have, except when you don't have to use it. And what I I mean by that is Boone has done this before in Atlanta. He's making exactly the same mistakes that he made in Atlanta, which resulted in some really heartbreaking exits from the playoffs. He had depth. He had multiple all-stars across the board. He had depth, and he isn't really a firm believer in playing those guys heavy minutes. Now, on the one hand, yeah, you think that it's saving those guys for crucial times like the playoffs when it really, really matters. But when you play guys less than 40 minutes, when they're averaging 35, 36 per minute in a regular season and you think they would be fresh, why aren't you putting your best guns out there to try and go and get this win? So I don't think it's really overblown. I think some of that criticism is warranted. It will be interesting to see with the depth now taken from the bench due to these trades, how he's going to divvy up minutes. I think Horst is really forcing him to put his best players out there for longer periods of time. Not so much to run them into the ground like Jason Kidd was doing with Giannis for those years, but play them heavier minutes, get the best out of them so you can have the best opportunities to win these games. Yeah, he's definitely getting his hand forced at this point.
1: They got now seven active players under contract. Technically they're playing for nine players, Larry Sanders and, John Lewis, Ugh. you want to be Nicole, but they got seven players under contract that are currently Bucks, So he's kind of forcing his hand a little bit. Obviously the, the roster will be shaped uh, moving, you know, with the draft coming up and probably some other uh, short-term one-year, two-year deals, I'm sure a horse to find. But what made that happen, or the, the first move was like, I just say 1030 is somewhere between 10 and 1030 uh, Bucks trade for Drew Holiday. For Bledsoe, George Hill, and uh, some uh, some future first round draft picks, which I kind of have to laugh at the uh, some Bucks fans on social media who are freaking out because they're kind of they're quote handcuffing themselves for the future. Well, the thing <laughs> is, the future is now. You got to win now. Yes. But yes. Your thoughts on Drew Holiday and that
2: trade in general? Hey, your your assessment is absolutely correct. You you have to push your chips in to the middle of the table. To win a championship. I, I'm a firm believer in you can't pinch pennies when you're trying to buy gold. You know, the, the whole goal of an NBA season is to hoist that gold ball. The, the 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 trophy, you know, the Larry O'Brien trophy. That's that's the ultimate. That's what you want. Giannis has made it clear he will stay in Milwaukee as long as they are in contention to hoist that trophy at the end of the year. So what do you do? Well, you make absolute sure that you do everything you possibly can to keep that generational talent in tow and compete for world championships. So the trade, yeah, does it dig into your depth? Sure, but it's not like that depth did you a whole lot of good in the playoffs. You know, you, it was misused. You put guys in at the wrong times. Why are you trying to ride Connickson when he's not giving you anything? even Chinzill had not the greatest playoff run either. You know, Bledsoe shrunk in the playoffs yet again. What's the point of having that depth that they're not really going to produce? So you go, you get the best absolute players. You front-load your lineup. You make it so difficult for other teams to try to get past that lineup that it doesn't matter really who you have on the bench after that. They just have to go out there and sustain a lead as opposed to going get it. So the trade, beautiful. It was a move that absolutely had to be made. Drew Holiday, better player all around for me, uh, and, and so when you're comparing him to – Eric Bledsoe, he's a bit better of a three-point shooter, a bit better of a distributor of the basketball. You don't lose anything defensively. You talk about one of the best defensive guards in the NBA, even other NBA players, including Steph Curry, have said so. Um, It was the trade that you needed to make, the move you had to make, and Bogdanovich, more shooting because you lost shooting, because you traded away George Hill. These moves signal to Giannis that you're committed now and in the future. You're pushing all your chips in to win now. Your championship window has been extended by a few years. This was just wonderful work done by John Horst.
1: Yeah, definitely wonderful work. And you bring up the uh, three-point shooting, and um, uh, Eric Name's article in The Athletic, he was talking about this. um, you just looked at two big big things that are important for the Bucks: corner threes and and, uh, and catch-and-shot threes, because obviously you're – offense runs through Giannis, he's going to uh, look to pass the ball out, you know, if, if they build that wall and you have to be able to make that shot. Bledsoe was 26.4 and 26% on catch and shoot three and corner three. And uh, in uh holiday, 36.4% and 41% on the, uh, the catch and shoot. And then the uh, corner threes, which, that right there tells you right there it's a,
2: it's a step up from what Bledsoe had to offer you. And it's what you needed because teams were yeah. not respecting Bledsoe's shot. And they knew that Bledsoe was going to come down and not exactly have the best shot selected all the time. I can't tell you how many times I stood up and cussed a blue streak <laughs> because Bledsoe came down the court on a fast break and hoisted up the most atrocious threes. I, I just – it's it's only so much of that you can afford and you can handle and it's been multiple seasons of playoff failures and playoff shrinkage for Eric Bledsoe and it was just time to make that move you have definitely upgraded in that area with Drew Holiday yeah and you also Bledsoe
1: would pass to the wrong person in transition you should go to the corner instead of the wing and vice versa and a lot of things made your head scratch, and the other stat they mentioned, Holiday's 45th out of 405 uh, of players in the NBA and play playmaking usage, which takes into account finding the right person to pass the ball to, and you know all those things. So I, I think it was you know you gave up a lot to get him, but you had to, and you know what are those draft picks really going to be anyways? You know you got you know you have Giannis for at least one more year. Um, so your draft pick next year, first round, is going to be late in the draft. And if Giannis signs a supermax with you know without this trade again, your draft's going to be late in the draft every year. And you know your future is definitely has to be now. And then you mentioned uh, you know, I'm going to struggle for a bit trying to get this, how I get this name right. Um, I always want to say Brogdon, Bogdan, Bogdanovich, <laughs> uh, Serbian six six uh, shooting guard. What does he bring
2: to Milwaukee now? He brings much more consistent three-point shooting. And you're talking about a guy who can not only hit the open three, but he is deadly off the screen, off the catch, which is definitely something you want to do. Uh, He's a guy who's going to bring you consistent double-digit points. He averaged like 15 last season, high percentage from three, Uh, and can get in there and mix it up a little bit on, on defense as well. Uh, You have definitely upgraded in that spot as well. Yeah, and so now it's the starters. You're gonna
1: have Brooke. You're gonna have Giannis. You're gonna have Bogdanovich. You're gonna have Holiday. You're gonna have Middleton. Middleton typically would play that two spot. Well, Bogdanovich is a two. Holiday can uh, he's played both off ball guard and point guard. Giannis pretty much has played everything. I think the only person you kind of uh, position-wise shoehorned in is with uh, Bledsoe, uh, Bledsoe, uh, Lopez being that five. What is the, I guess, the is it Holiday points, uh,
2: Bogdanovich shooting, Middleton the three, Giannis the four? Is that how it's probably going to be? You are right on the money with that. You get a little bit of versatility with Drew Holiday because he can play both the one and the two. And, again, as we mentioned earlier, he is a bit better distributor of the basketball than was Bledsoe. So you have that flexibility at that point to put him at the one or the two. Uh, Bogdanovich, you definitely want him at the two, uh, just so you can get him into more uh, catch-and-shoot type situations. Not that you can't get all the guys into those situations, but when you're on the wing, it's a little bit easier to do that. Um, Obviously, you're going to put Middleton at the three, one of the best forwards in the NBA. So, you know, he slept on, really slept on, a quiet star, as I would say. Uh, you know you know where you're getting out of Giannis, two-time MVP, and, and you've got to have Brooke at that five. He's just been doing Yeoman's work down there. Well, that's obviously a concern now,
1: because um, outside of the five I just mentioned, you have Giannis' brother and uh, one of the other guys that came back in the trade uh, – uh, I can't think of his name off the top of my head with the with the Kings um obviously depth is a concern. Robin Lopez opts out, which probably works out better for the bucks anyway for the fact that now that's five million million, you know that's five million they don't have to pay him and obviously now he does have the choice he wants to come back to Milwaukee, but where do the bucks go for depth? Is it maybe Lopez comes back on a cheaper contract Cause obviously they need another guy down low because uh, Brooks not going to be able to play 40-plus minutes a night. Um, they need some depth at the wing. Like, who, like, who are some guys, what are some directions they can go to try to shape up that roster?
2: And that's that's really the million-dollar question, right? Who who are they going to grab to kind of fill out the rest of this roster? And, and you, you mentioned the, the flexibility that you got to make these moves with well, Robin Lopez opting out and with Wesley Matthews opting out. Yeah. Uh, they I got to look that, did that provide one. Yeah, that did provide the, the cash flow to kind of absorb a contract the size of Drew Holliday, which he's going to be making, I think, what, $25, 26000000 this year compared to say 16 or $17 million he was going to make. That's a big jump, but it's a big upgrade. Uh, you're definitely going to have to go and sign some guys. You're going to have to go and sign some guys that may be looking to ring chase, essentially. Um, uh, maybe a guy like Jeff Teague. Maybe a guy like Paul Millsap. Uh, a guy like Car- uh, Courtney Lee. Uh, just thinking off Who the top those of my guys head, maybe
1: you I have experience playing in Budenholzer's system. So it'll be pretty exactly. simple for them to get adjusted.
2: Exactly. Those two guys, and those two guys I mentioned just off the top of my head, because I remembered, you know, they were in Atlanta under Budenholzer and had some success in Atlanta under Budenholzer. So you're going to have to go and sign some of these guys that, look, we got the two-time MVP. We just made all of these moves. We're all in you know, come and be a part of this. We believe that we can get this job done this year. We will get this job done this year. If this is your best opportunity at of ring because we're going to crush everybody. And that's essentially what John Horst and the Bucks have said with these moves. Well, another million dollar question for you. Boonehoser,
1: a lot of criticism during his playoff runs of just always falling short, great regular season coach seems to struggle to adjust in the playoffs. Well, I'm guessing he's not going to get that long of a leash if the team isn't performing at the level horse that ownership wants them to. Is he a guy that can finally put it together and be successful in the playoffs, or
2: is he going to be the guy that's the Achilles heel? You're right. Down a question. Indeed. Uh, This is, uh, let's just say this is a big year for Mike Budenholzer because the franchise has pushed all their chips to the middle of the table. And they said, we did this so we can go and win a championship. We're not accepting a first-round win, a second-round win, losing in six games at the Eastern Conference Finals, losing in the semifinals of the Eastern Conference. We're not accepting that. It's, it's really – and people may think I'm being facetious about saying this, but look at all the moves that, that have been made and the conversations that have been had with Mike Brunholzer and management over the course of the off-season, This is a move that states to him that you need to get the job done. Okay, there's, there's no more – okay, this is year three. Everybody knows what's expected of them. You, we know that you can get these guys to 60-plus wins every season. That that's all great. You can make guys all-stars. That's all great. But what we need you to do is to get over whatever it is you have in your mind about these rotations, about this stubbornness to make the adjustments in the playoffs, and get the job done with this roster. We are giving you everything you need to possibly get over that hump. You have to make it happen because if they don't this season, that's going to be an interesting off-season conversation that you have to have with Mike Budenholzer. Yeah, definitely going to be an interesting question.
1: If Budenholzer struggles to make things work, I, I, as I mentioned, I'm guessing ownership and horse is probably going to not be uh, – Take too long to pull that trigger and you know get somebody else uh, running the show, which I'm not sure who that would be currently on the on the Bucks coaching staff. But I don't think they'll delay if they don't feel they're getting their money's worth. Especially if Giannis wants to wait to sign the supermax until the end of the season, they're definitely going to be probably very quick. And I guess that's the the other million dollar question: Is this enough? Do you think to have Giannis sign his supermax or? Does he wait to see how the season goes before he decides to sign that Supermax? What is your
2: thought there? As a GM with a generational talent, you do not give up this much draft capital and these many players that were incremental to your, your rotation unless you are more than confident that that generational talent will resign with your team long term i think john horst and the bucks know something that the rest of us do not i believe this is enough to have Giannis opt in sign in resign five years Supermax and be a part of this i i think this these are the moves that he's been wanting the team to make we heard about conversations that they've had uh, in the off season. He goes and talks to management every off season about the, the direction that they want to go in. And Giannis isn't the guy that's going to go in and scream and shout and say, Oh, I want this done. I need this done. But he's going to tell people like, Hey, look, I- I'm all about winning. I want to win. I want to win championships. You know, he- he's past winning, you know, divisions. He's past winning just playoff series. He wants to win NBA championships. That's who he sees himself as as an NBA champion. And seeing his brother win one only motivates him. So, I, I bet you that was a really interesting conversation that he had with, with, with management and ownership. I, I think that they listened finally and pushed all the chips in. They, this, is, this is a win-now situation. This is the win-now situation. And I, I think they've done enough to convince him to, that, hey, we're going to win now, we're going to win in the future. We're going to do whatever it takes now, not just to make you resign, but in the future to continue winning championships. So I, I think it's enough. He will resign, whether that's before the December 21st deadline or, you know, after the season is over. I I don't know. Only Giannis knows. But I think he will resign at Supermax.
1: Yeah, and that's where you and I are on the same page. I want to get your thoughts on that, too. And I I text the same thing to a couple of friends of mine who had uh, brought up the money they invested in Bogdanovich and uh, Holiday. They don't make that trade. If Giannis, if they're, if they're not under the impression Giannis is going to sign that Super when he's able to, I believe it's Friday. They're not giving up three first-round, future first-round picks, including the pick in uh, tomorrow's, first-round pick in tomorrow's draft. If you don't have pretty, if you're, not, if you're not pretty certain, if not 100% certain, pretty dang close to 100% certain that Giannis was going to sign that Super right now. Um, I, I, you said I don't think they make that move either. So I just kind of want to get your thoughts on that. And I think that's something that people are missing. And and I was listening to a local show, and uh, John Kuhn was mentioning this, and it's right. The, the Packers come trade deadline. People are pushing Goody's got to, you know, basically sell the house to win a Super Bowl now. Who cares? Let's go win it now. So with the Bucks, they give up what they did for the pieces that they got back, and it's oh, that's way too much. They got to worry about their future. What's going to happen with their future? But I, I just don't kind of get. I, well, I kind of get, but I don't why there's such that difference of opinions. And I think one of the biggest reasons is, as Bucks fans, we're always tuned to, uh, especially when the new ownership took over at the time, build for the future, build for the future, build for the future, well, we're done building, right? Is that pretty fair to say? But that might be why a lot of Bucks fans were kind of
2: worried about it is that they haven't gotten past that mindset yet. Yeah, you are absolutely spot on. It's, when they came in, they, they had the whole marketing overhaul, They'd own the future, own the future, own the future. And, you know, when they were saying that, you know, it was okay. Let's let's crawl through the mud and, and see what we got, and and start building up from there. And They started building up. You built it up to a two-time MVP, generational talent in Giannis Antetokounmpo. Uh, you, you built it up into a a multi-time All Star and and Chris Middleton. You know, I mean, you you made moves to make this team better and competitive and be the number one seed in the East two years of running. So you're done building. Now it's just mm-hmm. tweaking to go and win a championship. So it's. I think Bucks fans in general are just in that mindset of Herb Cole chase the eight, be kind of conservative, don't do anything too crazy. (laughs) Just get that (laughs) AC. Just get that AC. Make it everybody be happy. It's no. Now you're in rarefied air. You are in championship air. It's been so long since we've seen a Bucks team be in that championship type layer with that championship window being wide open for them to go and do it. And I think it's honest to say that none of us uh, in this state and Bucs fans everywhere are, were alive when Kareem was here. So we have never seen a generational talent on the court in Milwaukee. You know, so it's, it's a lot of differences and it's a lot of things that people aren't used to and they don't know how to react. You can't own the future and can constantly own the future, own the future, own the future. The future is now, like you said. You have to go out, and you have to go after it. You have to get it. you got to go all in. So I don't know why they're conservative <laughs> with, with the Bucks. They're not conservative with the Packers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, two different sports, two different types of, of trades and, and mentalities that go into the sports and, and the dichotomy of each. The, the Bucks did absolutely the right thing. When you look at those picks that they gave up, they're not going to amount to much. Like you said, they're all going to be late-round picks. And have you seen the Bucks draft picks as of late? I mean, outside, of Giannis, like, come on, let's be real with ourselves. Not much there. Yeah. Not much there. So, the only
1: one you it, could it, kind of say what could have been was uh, Jabari, but he blew out his ACL twice and then just could never put it back together,
2: you know? And, and even Dante's. You know, Dante yeah. was, you know, when he was healthy, he was becoming a, a, a pretty decent, serviceable player. He's heading into his third year. But, you know, outside of, of, of Giannis, I mean, you really haven't struck anything worth of note. So, yeah, probably their best but,
1: draft pick besides Giannis over the last several years is a second round pick in uh, Brogdon, and he's out in uh, Indianapolis now.
2: Exactly. Exactly. So when you look at the history of the Bucks draft and you look at where you are in the NBA, you're a top one-two seed in the Eastern Conference. You've been the number one seed last two seasons. You've been making pretty decent playoff runs. Your, play, your, your pick has been very, very low, and these drafts have not really lent to the best talent in those spots. So give those up to a team that can package them and do something. You go after championships right now with this general generational talent you have on the court.
1: Yeah, I think we should be in the, the bucks marketing people here instead of uh, own the future. It's the future is now. <laughs> there you
2: go. Hey, so, cut the check, cut the you check. Go. You heard Evan cut the check.
1: <laughs> now look at the rest of the NBA. Cause to me right now, the Bucks starting five is probably best than anybody in the Eastern conference for sure. And then, I think they're up there with any team in the Western Conference just starting one through five. But you look at the the uh, the Nets are looking to try, try to trade for James Harden, apparently. The Celtics are trying to move on from Walker. Russell Westbrook's rumored to be on the move. Uh, what, is, what do you see the rest of the NBA shaping up? Uh, obviously, Chris Paul is in, in uh, Phoenix now, and they got the look of something pretty good down there in Phoenix with that trade with uh, the young talent – they already have plus the veteran uh in in paul you know what do you see the rest of the nba shaping up in regards to just competition potentially for the bucks i i just see james harden and in, in brooklyn uh i i think steve nash might be regretting uh taking a coaching job if that happens
2: <laughs> Durant, tyree and harden oh, if, if he's going and it looks like if you look at his staff it looks like he's going to try to run the same exact offense he ran under D'Antoni, who's one of his assistants now, uh, when, it, when it was like seven seconds or less that you're taking a shot. Yeah. So if he's going to run that kind of offense, I think they'll be, they'll be just fine with Harden there. But I, the last I checked, there wasn't much, uh, much traction uh, with that trade. I know they're trying to talk to Philly about him being out there on the Doc Rivers. We'll see how that goes. I think just – I don't know if it was Brett Brown out with the 76ers. That was the problem. I'm not sure. But it, to me, it just seems like Joel Embiid and, and Simmons just don't really fit for whatever reason. And you would think that would be a great fit. But for some reason, it just it, – for me, it just doesn't really work. Maybe Doc Rivers can get something different out of them. I think he will. I think they'll be a little bit more competitive. But – then there's that chance where it just – it looks like it did last season where it just for some reason did not work. Uh, the Heat are obviously going to be there. They're still a, a pretty good team. Um, but I think with the move – the move the Bucks have made have been league-shaking. Uh, and, and <laughs> I mean, now they're looking at the Bucks like, okay, the Bucks were good, but, you know, they, they kind of falter in the playoffs. Now it's like, okay, the Bucks are good and they may be getting over the hump now. So what are we going to do? You know, so the Lakers are definitely eyebrows raised at them. Uh, you know, the Nets, definitely eyebrows raised at them. The Heat, eyebrows raised at them. It's really going to be interesting to see how the rest of this offseason shakes up. I don't know. I, last check, also, Russell Westbrook really didn't have a market for whatever reason. <laughs> we'll, we'll, I'm putting air quotes in that for whatever reason. Um, so it's just going to be interesting to see what what other moves are made and what how the rest of the league kind of shakes up.
1: Yeah, definitely going to be interesting. And I guess what I'm most interested in seeing is Doc Rivers in Philly, because one of the things holding Philly back was they didn't really have a, a strong coach. And as you mentioned, uh, Embiid and. Simmons don't really work really well together and then uh, Tobias Haristone in there too. Can Doc Rivers uh, get them to play on the same page? I guess that's my most intriguing uh, thing coming into this coming season. Yeah,
2: it's I, I don't know. And it, they're one of the more puzzling teams because they, they have great talent. Great talent. And they're good enough to go and win 50 plus games and all, but for whatever reason, it just falters at the... You would think this team would be way better than what they actually are. When you saw the talent that they had and the way that they were kind of rising at the same time the Bucks were rising, I thought that was going to be the Eastern Conference matchup, Eastern Conference Finals matchup for years to come. I thought that was going to be like the next decades-long battle between these teams for Eastern Conference supremacy to represent them in the NBA Finals, and it just hasn't shaken out that way. You know, the, the Bucks have kind of fulfilled... Their role in that, but for whatever reason, seven sixes have it. So, do they move Simmons? You know, if if there is going to be traction on the James Harden trade, as we know, uh, Morley is there now. If there is some sort of traction that happens there, do they move him? You know, I don't think they're going to move Embiid, uh, but do, but do they move Simmons? You know, do do they move other pieces with them? Do they move Tobias Harris to go and get him? It's just really an intriguing team and an interesting team to see if they do in fact make some sort of a shakeup.
1: Yeah. Um be definitely interesting to see. So do wanna get you back on as the as the 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 off season shapes up, uh, shapes out the regular season as we get a little close, I'd love to get you back on to kinda talk the uh the NBA season once we kinda know for sure what the the rosters are looking like. Um but before these moves are made, I just kinda wanna get your thoughts on what the Bucks should do. And obviously now they've already made probably the two biggest moves. They're going to. Um, the rest of them are probably going to be smaller scale stuff to shape out the rest of the roster. But we want to thank you for uh, spending some time with me t- uh, tonight uh, talking Bucks basketball. And I appreciate the appreciate
2: you coming on. I appreciate you having me on. It was a blast. We definitely got to do this again. And uh, man, keep on doing what you're doing. Keep breaking. Hey. I love what you're doing with breaking down the game tape and giving people the real on what's going on with the Packers and the technique and the intricacies of the game. Keep going.
1: Appreciate
2: that. And you
1: know, I I looked at like when I watch the games, I watch mostly the interior line play because that's where I'm familiar with and that's where I played. And what I've what I've observed rewatching a lot of the games, you can basically go watch what happened on the line of scrimmage and basically point to why certain things didn't work and if one this or that went a different direction things would have been different so do appreciate that and you do the same keep up your great work as well appreciate
2: it man thank you so much
0: yep and that was tristan thomas uh thank you for him for coming on toss nation sports uh uh, Toss Nation Media, thank you for coming on, talking Milwaukee Bucks with me. Now, moving forward, yes, the Milwaukee Bucks made some moves, um, exciting moves to to make as well, but the Packers also made some moves. So, Alan Lazard was acted off of the IR today, so he may be available Sunday against the Colts. Uh, David Bakhtiari signed a long-term contract extension with Green Bay. And uh, have a quick audio to say the few words he had to say and how he celebrated his contract extension.
1: Washed it down with one beer.
2: Two beers. Three beers. A shot of whiskey. A margarita.
0: And a bloody Mary. And all kidding aside, that obviously not David Bakhtiari, that was Stone Cold Steve Austin. And I'm pretty sure David Bakhtiari probably celebrated the same way. So... The Bakhtiari news broke probably almost through the third quarter, into the fourth quarter of the Packers-Jacksonville game. And I think it's great that they did re-sign Bakhtiari long-term. Um, I love Aaron Jones, but I think running back, you, it's kind of hard to to sign a running back to a long-term contract. Um, it's just the position that... It, it, it's easy to, to find replacements, it's easy to fill, it's easy to, um, it's easy to, to replace. Now when you have a franchise left tackle, a Hall of, uh, hall of Fame track left tackle with David Bakhtiari, you got to get the, the deal done. You just have to. I hope they can re-sign Jones, I hope they can maybe explore bringing Kevin King back, I hope they can explore keeping Corey Lindsley. Um, but at the end of the day, you, you had to get this contract done by David Bakhtiari with either A-Rod playing quarterback or Jordan Love playing quarterback. You, you either got to make your life easier for A-Rod, um, Aaron Rodgers, as he pushes for another Super Bowl, or you got to make things easier for your young quarterback when he eventually, if he eventually takes over for your Hall of Fame quarterback. So I think it was a no-brainer signing Bakhtiari first. And hopefully they can get some other deals done if the price is right. So, and I guess you can kind of uh, excuse um, Gutt now for not uh, making that deal for Will Fuller because if they make that trade for Will Fuller, they can't do this deal with Bakhtiari right now. They would have to wait to the offseason and then he potentially hits the open market and he potentially gets even more money than the Packers gave him. So, to me, that was a great move. That was a great deal. So now moving on to the Packers-Jacksonville game. The Packers did improve to 7-2 and following their victory over Jacksonville. And it was definitely not a a, a, a pretty game um, by any stretch of the imagination. Packers were nearly 14-point favorites coming into the game. And they ended up winning 24-20. Rodgers, his efficient self, 24-34 for 325 and two touchdowns. Did have an interception, though. But the big thing is what really slowed the Packers game down is Jacksonville sold out to stop the run. Um, Jones had 13 carries for 46 yards at 3.5 yards per carry. Jamal Williams, 8 carries for 30 yards at 3.8 yards per carry. Jacksonville, they they stacked the box with 8 people in the box quite frequently to stop the run. And the Packers' offensive line especially the right side of the line, didn't play really well. Billy Turner back to starting at right tackle after spending the last few games over on the left side. He did finish the San Francisco game on the right side, but I don't know if that had anything to do with him being ineffective with Billy you know, for Billy Turner. I don't know. Um, I don't know how much that impacted him. I know from personal – never, I've never played at the NFL level, but I've played some football, and I know – When I've had to jump back and forth a lot, there is some um, readjusting that comes through. Um, Like if, let's say, I play right side, they move me to left. There's some adjusting that I need to get more – I have to, you know, get comfortable being over there. And then when I get moved back to right, you know, it might be some time before I get more comfortable being back over there. But whatever the reason was, the, the Packers couldn't run the ball. And Jacksonville has very fast linebackers and Miles Jack. Um, especially, and they made life difficult for the Packers running the ball. And they, that that pretty much stagnated the offense as a whole. Rodgers still found the ways to get things done. MVS had a great game, uh, four catches for 149 and a touchdown, including a 78-yard, t- uh, the, the touchdown was a 78-yard catch and run. Devontae struggled, probably, you know, he, he struggled mightily. C.J. Henderson, uh, corner for Jacksonville made life for Devontae very difficult. Um, you know, he was playing Devontae very physical, not afraid to get in his face, not afraid to, uh, uh, to, you know, most people don't get in Devontae's face. They, they're they worried that he's going to burn them off the line, and they don't play him physical, which C.J. Henderson did. So now it's up to Devontae to, um, to make adjustments to his game, because I guarantee you, all the other teams are going to watch this game, and they're going to try to do the same thing to Devontae. But Devontae did have one fumble. Um, uh, the, the first drive of the second half, slant slant pattern. Packers hit him on a slant, and he uh, had a pretty nice game. took it from the two-yard line, I want to say. Took it up to the 35-ish. And then uh, Henderson uh, punched the ball out. The Jaguar the The Jays recovered it, and yeah, but the Packers got the win. That's what matters. It doesn't matter how much you win by or how little you win by. In the NFL, all your wins count the same. Yeah, you would like a little more dominant fashion, but with the wind the Packers was facing, um, I know Jackson was facing it too, um, but your offense is going to struggle, especially in the passing game, and the Packers found a way to make it work. Um, defensively, you know, they did struggle again in stopping the run. James Robinson, the only back that had any carries, had 23 carries for 109. Um, but for the most part, for except for a couple carries, they limited him on uh, on uh, big runs. Um, they held DJ Shark to 4 for 56 and Cole four, 5 for 47. Really what hurt the Packers in this game is... And and I say it over and over again, and and I bring this up, it seems like I bring it up way too much. But the thing, when one person, or in this case, the 91-yard punt return, four people don't do the job you're going to pay. And and football is a game of inches. And you you saw once again with Jacksonville the football is a game of inches. And if a few things would have went differently, if a few things would have been better, if they would have done a few things – Um, here or there, they would have won by a lot. But unfortunately, there's a few plays where they missed some blocks. There's a few plays where they they didn't play their gaps appropriately. There's a few plays where Oren Burks, for example, stepped to his left, leaving the middle of the field wide open, and the quarterback, Lutton, found a hole and hit Cole for a touchdown. Little things add up to big things. And I guess my one thing is for Packer fans is don't overreact to the the game. You know, it was 24-20. Yes, I get that. But the weather conditions sucked. Uncommon opponent. And for whatever reason, the Packers need to figure out how to play at home without a crowd. Because once again, just like Minnesota, they lacked a lot of energy coming into the game. So, but as I said, Packers got the win. That's what matters. So, with that, I want to thank you all for listening to Talking Sports with Evan. Again, follow me on Twitter, at Evan with Sports. On Facebook, Talking Sports with Evan. And you can email me at Sports with Evan at gmail.com. I will talk Packers and Colts later in the week. Find my Facebook page for that, Talking Sports with Evan on Facebook. Find that, like the page, and I will be talking about that game. Thanks again to Tristan for uh for coming on and talking to Milwaukee Bucks with me um, earlier in the show, and with that, I'll get back at you later.